Genesis 1, verse 26. This is what God's word says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now look at Genesis 2, beginning in verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the garden was of good and evil. Excuse me, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed out of the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of Adam's ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And finally, would you look back at Genesis 1 and verse 27? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. 
Father in heaven, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading, the hearing, the preaching of your word. Lord, we look back upon this account and we're reminded of a great and mighty God who has created all things, uh, even as we say ex nihilio, out of nothing. Lord, you spoke these things into existence. You spoke our world and our universe into existence, and it was so. You are a powerful, powerful, mighty God. And we are blessed to be able to be in your presence, to hear from your word, to gather with your people, and pray that you would be pleased to continue to meet with us as we continue to hear from you this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There is a reason I just did what I did. Uh, What I have done, or at least attempted to you, is read to you the chronology of events as they unfolded on day six of creation week. So as God created everything in six days and on the seventh he rested, take a look at Genesis 1 verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. So God referring to himself as us. Why? Because God is not alone in the Godhead. God is thrice holy. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let us make man in our image. Let them have dominion. So when God is saying, let us make man in our image, he certainly makes man first and then woman. But in God's mind, on God's heart, was mankind, male and female. And if you look at Genesis 1.26 and then flip over to Genesis 2, where we began reading, Genesis 2 provides a commentary, a very extended, very detailed commentary, showing us the details of what happened on day 6 of creation week. What happened when God said, let us make man in our image? In Genesis 1, we go from 26 to 27, let us make man in our image. So God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. But you might think, well, wait a minute, where, when did female come into play? Well, then you look at Genesis 2, right? And you read those details of how that all came about. And Eve certainly wasn't an afterthought by any stretch of the imagination. But God looked down on Adam and realized that in his creation of Adam, it was not good that man should be alone. It was God's intention to create man and woman from the get-go. Eve wasn't an afterthought. Eve wasn't like, we'll create Adam. And then it was like, you know what? Adam could really use some help. It doesn't look really good. We'll, we'll just take a rib out of Adam. And give. It was God's intention to create both Adam and Eve. Male and female, he created them. We see that in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 27. And in verse 26, when God says, let us make man in our image, he goes on to say, let them have dominion over all created things. So in other words, let us make mankind, let us make mankind in our image, male and female in the image of almighty God. That is what God is saying there. And what I want to do is call to your attention the first point that is in your outline, that it's only after both Adam and Eve are created that God calls his creation very good. It's only after both of them are created that God says, you know what? 
Everything that I've made is not just good, it's actually very good. This is really good. I have now made all the things that I want to make. I can now rest. And God moves to the seventh day and he rests. Not because he was tired, but because rest is good. And he models for us one day in seven to rest, a day of Sabbath, a time of setting apart and consecrating this time to the Lord and saying, let's rest. And that's what God does on the seventh day. Now, here's what you have to understand. The scriptures roundly and consistently show that men and women are created both equal in value and different by design. Equal in value before the Lord God. Equal in being image bearers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but different in function, different by design. That's how God created us. Since men and women are designed to function differently, we necessarily put on display for all the world to see different attributes of God. And sometimes men typically are better than putting on, some, putting on certain attributes than women. And there are some attributes that women typically are better than putting on display than men are. Now, it is an understatement to say that ours is a day and age in which there exists a level of confusion about gender. That would be like an understatement of all time to say that we live in a day and age and a culture where there exists confusion with regards to gender. One week ago today, Emma Watson was honored at the MTV Movie Awards for her performance in Disney's recent remake of Beauty and the Beast. Now, typically, the award for best actor in a movie is subdivided into two categories. Can you guess what those two categories might be? Male and female. Very good. Right. The best male performance and best female performance. This, however, was not the case in 2017, as actors and actresses competed against one another, and only Emma Watson won the prize. Now, this actually was not the first time this has happened. Uh, This happened 10 and 11 years ago as well, where there wasn't a best male performance artist, uh, male performance in a... I'm not. I didn't watch the thing. I read about the thing. Can you tell? Best male performance, best female performance... Um, This happened in 2006 and 2007 as well. It's not the point that these categories were combined. Here's the thing. What's noteworthy is the fact that Emma Watson in her acceptance speech thought that this was a sign of progress. That this was a good move because uh, she was accepting an award that, quote, doesn't separate nominees unnecessarily based on their sex. Now, Even in that statement, the fact that she uses the term their sex acknowledges at least to some degree that gender just isn't just a social construct, uh, but something that each actor or actress possesses. However, our culture is continually seeking to suppress the truth revealed in Genesis 1.27, the fact that God created man in his image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. A discerning reader or a discerning moviegoer would find something similar in The Shack. One of the best-selling paperback books of all time. We're talking over 10 million copies sold, translated into over 30 languages. It's no surprise that the movie has been quite a success as well. Papa is a nickname used to refer to God throughout the flick. And throughout the flick, Papa appears in both male and female forms. 
Uh, Papa thought there were times in which people couldn't relate to him as a man, and so he sometimes appears as a woman. And at other times, when Papa needs to take on what seems to be a more confrontational role, all of a sudden, Papa is an older man, and vice versa, and back and forth. Now, this is a distortion of God that you have to recognize for the following reasons. First of all, throughout the scriptures, there are at least 170 references to God as our heavenly what? Father. And that's not because of the time period in which the scriptures were written. That's, that's, that's not a result of culture. That's not because the Bible hates women. That's because God is our heavenly Father. There are zero references to God as our heavenly mother or sister or daughter or chica or anything feminine. Uh, that's not because God hates women. That's, that's not because the Bible hates women. That, that's just because God is our heavenly father. It is what it is. He is who he is. To deny this is to deny the very word of God. However, in God's kindness, he has inspired the writers of scripture, to use what we call anthropomorphic language to help us comprehend the incomprehensible. Now, Jehovah God isn't a, a human being. Uh, Jesus himself in John 4 and verse 24, in speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well, says God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is our heavenly father, but he does not exist as a human male. Uh, He does not have physical characteristics of a male because he is not a physical being. God the Son is, but God the Father is not a physical male human being. But the scriptures are replete with word pictures to help humans like you and like me understand our great God, to help us comprehend the incomprehensible. Uh, Leviticus 20 and verse 6 says, God sets his face against evil. Uh, Numbers 625 says he makes his face to shine upon you. But this is the thing. God doesn't have a face. But it gives us that picture of, oh, oh, God, he sets his face against evil. He's focused on it. He's not afraid of it. He faces it head on. And we can understand that as human beings. But God does not have a face. This is anthropomorphic language. That means we're using, uh, so anthropomorphic comes from the word anthropos, which is uh, people or humans. Uh, Anthropomorphic comes from morphos, which is uh, a form of. So this is uh, language that takes on the form of a human to help us understand and to better picture things about our great God. Exodus 7 says he stretches out his hand. Psalm 113.6 says he stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. How many of you think that God could probably see the heavens and the earth just fine from like wherever he is, right? He doesn't need to stoop down, but that gives us this picture of a God who is willing, who is high and holy and and, and high and lifted up, who is willing, just like a dad would for his child, to to stoop down, to to, to come on our level, to look at us. We think of other areas in which the psalm, the psalmist says, incline your ear to me. Again, there's that, there's that picture of God leaning down, listening, doing this, even though God never needs to do this because he doesn't have this, but it's God is, he's interested in hearing. He cares for us. He wants to hear us. He inclines his ear to us. These are anthropomorphisms. Again, God is not human, but these pictures help us understand God's nature and action. Now, 
Although God is always referred to in male terms, the Bible uses many feminine word pictures as well to call our attention to attributes that are better displayed or perhaps more consistently displayed by women than by men. So, what I'd like to do in the time that remains as we traverse this minefield together, I would like to call our attention uh, to attributes of God uh, and take a glance at some of these pictures painted for us in the Bible that help us better understand some attributes of God. So that's why if you look at your outline, the title is Mother's Day Sermon. Every time I tried to think of a title for this sermon, I felt like I was like teetering and tottering on the borderline of heresies. Like, you know, God, feminine, no, God doesn't have a feminine side. It's like the feminine attributes. No, God doesn't have feminine attributes. Mother's Day Sermon. There. Mother's Day Sermon. That's, 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 that's what it is. It's a sermon. It's on Mother's Day. It's 2017. That seemed to be a safe way to go. So that's what we're going to do. Now, pop quiz, pop quiz. Is Pastor Peter saying that God is our heavenly mother? Very good. Is, is Pastor Peter saying that God has a feminine side? No. That was a little weak, but I trust. <laughs> a little concerning. Uh, um, is Pastor Peter saying God is in any way, shape, or form female? That's helpful. Because I have this hang-up about employment. I, I value it. I want it. You know, the kids need braces. So, so I, I just want to make sure that's clear from the get-go. Okay, so here we go. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66. Again, we are just looking at just just a few uh, of the pictures that are painted in God's Word to help us better understand our great God. Isaiah chapter 66, look at verse 13. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, verse 14, you shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. Look once again at verse 13. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. The picture painted here is one of a mother who comforts her child. It says, as one whom his mother comforts. That would be the child being comforted by the mother. God says, as if you were that one. As if you were that one being comforted by that mother. You were that child. He will comfort you. That's the picture that he's wanting to paint here and does so paint in this particular verse. Now, there are plenty of verses in the Bible that talk about God's comfort that have absolutely nothing to do with a mother. Uh, Consider 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7. Watch this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in, in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which, we, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our 
Comfort. There was a word I was trying to call our attention to. I don't know if you picked up on that. It was comfort. Ten times the word comfort is mentioned in these verses that I just read. Zero times is any mother, any female mentioned at all. In fact, it starts out saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Comfort isn't a feminine characteristic. It's a godly one. Comfort isn't a feminine characteristic. It is a godly one. And men and women can certainly display comfort differently and oftentimes do. The verse we're looking at in Isaiah says this in verse 13. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. God's saying in this instance, I will comfort you like a mother comforts her child. So it begs the following question. What might God be referring to when he says something like, I'm going to comfort you like a mom comforts her child? What picture is God trying to paint in our minds as he, he's holy God, he could write anything he wants. He could have inspired Isaiah to say anything that he wanted. Yet God chose to paint this particular picture at this particular time. It doesn't say, I'll comfort you like a comforting person. It doesn't say, I'll comfort you like a dad. He specifically says, as a mom, as a mother comforts her child, that's how I'll comfort you. That's what I'd like to think about. What might God be referring to when he says something like, I'm going to comfort you like a mom comforts her kids? Sarah and I have four kids. And we love them. And I don't, know why, I don't know why that's... Yes, we love them. Of course we love them. But we love them differently and in different ways. Um, I think all four of our children at uh, separate times, thankfully not on the same day, have fallen down a flight of stairs at least once. I think just... You can help me. Just raise your hand. Your children have fallen down a flight of stairs before. Good. Good. That's super helpful for me because I feel real negligent when this happens. Um, and I, I would look at Sarah and be like, this, I never, this never happened. I never fell down a flight of stairs. To which she reminded me that I lived on the sixth floor of an apartment building with an elevator. But that's not the point. It still never happened to me. I think at some point or another, to varying degrees, there was a time when our kids, I don't know how it happens, Gravity gets the best of us. Time gets the best of us. We had the baby gate up. Somebody walked through, forgot to set it back. I don't know, but there's this one time in particular that stands out to me when uh, one of our children, I think all four of them have, at least three of them have. But anyway, at this one particular instance, um, and it's a terrible sound for those of you who experienced it. Like we were sitting in the living room and we just heard, some of you are judging me so bad right now. Most of you are like, yeah, and then some of you are like, why don't you care for your kids? We just trust in God. Anyway, you just hear this. It gets louder because they get... And then there's that scream, that wail that happens. So you hear it coming, and then there's the boom on the, on, on, on the, the last step or on the landing... And they just scream. Now, at one point, uh, when this happened, I remember one time specifically in our current house, so it was was Silas, um, he fell, I dare say bounced. They bounce. Babies bounce. The other day, I sniffed and pulled a muscle in my back. (laughs) 
I'm not kidding. I was like, huh. How this kid wailed. So, so, but, but apparently God in his mercy, nothing happened. But the baby falls down the step. Now, Sarah and I both get up to go up to this child. Okay, we both run to the child. We both run to the child for two very different reasons. I run to the child, and can I tell you what I was thinking at the time? I was hacked. Mad. Not at the child, but at ourselves. At myself, at Sarah. We're adults. How did this happen? So I have the, 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 the anger that this happened. Again, this house is our fourth. The anger that this has happened combined with, is he Okay. Did he land? I didn't see him land. Did he land on his head? Is there, I'm looking for blood. I'm literally thinking, I'm just telling you this is how my mind works. I'm literally, as we're walking towards the child, which is probably eight paces away, I'm thinking about the fastest route from our house. Do you ever just boom, 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 boom? You think about these things. Fastest route from our house to the hospital. Should we go to children's if he needs to go to children's? Should we take 75 or will it be backed up? What day is it? It's a weekend. There's not going to be rush hour traffic. Like just thinking those things. Boom, 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 boom. Why? Because I love my son. And I care about my son. And this is my first response to this is how can we help? First of all, why did it happen? How can we prevent it from happening again? But what might need to be done? Is, does, does he look like, is he, is he favoring one arm? Is there blood on the floor? Does he have a dent in his head? I don't know what to look for. I'm not a doctor. But I realize this could go really, really, really wrong. And I want to see how can I serve? How can I help? What can I do? What can we do to prevent it from happening again? And how do we meet the needs that are here right now? Sarah picks up the child. Sarah holds the wailing child. That's it. Sarah's going to comfort. I major on, on, on solving the problem, on thinking through it, on being practical. And I care to comfort, but I'm, I'm minor on comfort. Sarah majors, you see what I'm saying? Sarah majors in comfort. Just, she's just she's going to hold the child, seeing that the child is not bleeding everywhere and it doesn't appear to be have any broken limbs and the child's just, just crying, just scared because... His whole world's been turned upside down, probably four times. <laughs> she, she comforts. She's got him tight in her arms, comforting him as he wails and cries and screams and wails and cries and screams. And she's just holding him and just rocking him back and forth and then sits with him and holds him and holds him and holds him and holds him until he just calms down. Because there's the screaming, and then there's the, I don't know what the, I don't know what you call that, but the, and then there's calm. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. God 
is a powerful, effective comforter. As a kid who fell down the stairs, as one whom his mother comforts, God himself will be our powerful comforter, not solely with rational thoughts and solutions and plans like dad has, but with the affection and love and care of a mother who might cry with you as you cry, who is in no rush to fix it, no rush to solve anything, but will comfort you until your crying stops, until you're, you're quiet, until you calm down, until it's easier, who will pacify you, who will, who will kiss your head, who will hold you until it all starts to get better. As one whom his mother comforts. Side note, it, it begs the question, what stairs have you fallen down? It's cancer. We're going to have to let you go. You're fired. I'm leaving you. What stairs in life are you falling down or have you fallen down? And the only thing waiting for you at the bottom? But then God comes rushing to you holds you in his arms and provides comfort. How have you experienced the patient and comfort of the Lord during painful times in your life? How has God provided that comfort for you? As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Because life is constantly full of times when we are in need of comfort. Uh, things happen. People die unexpectedly. Jobs are lost. Uh, things that we think are going to cost a lot cost double and triple than what we were expecting. Uh, uh, marriages end in divorce. Children go on drugs. People sleep around. They're, I mean, you could just list the things in our lives that could cause us for a need of Comfort. Yes, problem solving, but also just comfort, right? Where the comfort of our Lord is something that we need. We need his help. We need his guidance. We need him to fix it. But you know what? There's also, even while he's fixing it and while he's working, we could really use the comfort of our Lord who says that he's going to comfort us as a mother comforts her child. Isaiah 66 and verse 13, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Also in Isaiah, turn back to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. Beginning in verse, let's begin in verse 13. 
Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she would have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God is promising here to rescue, to restore his people. He says he'll keep them, give them a covenant, free imprisoned souls, feed them, leave them by springs of water. And then we pick it up in verse 13, which is what we just read. Sing for joy, O heavens, exalt, break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord God has comforted his people. The very next verse, the very next verse, Zion says, Zion, the the city of God, the place where God's people says, the Lord has forsaken me. My God has forgotten me. I've been forgotten by the Lord. And God's word paints a picture. Look at verse 15 for us yet again, this time with a a rhetorical question. Hey, can a woman forget her nursing child? Now, here we're being told that God does not have the capacity to forget. He will not forget. He will always remember. But remembering children and remembering things, again, is not a, a feminine thing. We can look at tons of times throughout the scriptures where God remembers us. He remembers his people, and it's not associated with being a mom or a woman. Genesis 8, God remembered Noah and the animals in the ark, and he sent a wind to cause the water to go away. That's not associated with him being, uh, with, with, with him being like a mother or like a woman. He just remembers. He's God. But there's a different picture painted here. The fact that a mother won't forget her kids. God, in his kindness, And mercy has created mothers with an an, an innate awareness and compassion and longing to care for her children. Now, it's not untouched by sin. Uh, Nothing is. But it's nonetheless there. Something clicks. uh, A desire to provide. A desire to care for. To nurture. To love. It's not perfect. It varies between different individuals. But typically, mothers have this innate God-given, God-designed desire to care for, to remember children. But there's an added detail here. If you look at it, uh, in Isaiah 49, 15. It's not, can a woman forget her child? It's, can a woman forget her what? Her nursing child. God doesn't just paint a picture of a he actually doesn't paint a picture necessarily of a mother. This could be a, 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 a wet nurse, but, but it's can a woman forget uh, her nursing child? Now, why is that significant? Is that, just, is that just added detail just to paint a clearer picture? Is it just poetry? Is it just God being dramatic and it's really cool? It's like, ooh, wow. Or is there something to glean from that? Well, I'll keep it as family-friendly as possible. But any nursing woman knows that she has a physical response to the sound of her baby crying or other babies crying. It's natural for a, a, a nursing mom. Something happens within her. And, and, and uh, if she is a nursing woman, a nursing mother at that time, usually 
milk is produced. There's a feeling. There's a sensation. I've never experienced it. I don't know what it's like. I just know it's a thing. I just know it's a, a thing. Ladies, look at me and say, it's a thing. Good. Okay. I just want to make sure it's a thing. But the picture that's painted there is that's how God, this is at least in one, one picture of how God would remember his children. There's an innate awareness of us. God remembers us like that. He does. This is, this is helpful for the times where we, like it says in verse 14, even though God's been so good to us, even though we, we have every reason to rejoice, every reason to celebrate, every reason to be thankful, we sometimes respond like Zion does in verse 14. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. God is good. God is good. God is good. We experience his favor, his favor, his mercy, his grace. Something goes differently than how we planned. You know, it was just rainy and it wasn't sunny and we were playing an outdoor party. God has forsaken me. He has forgotten me. Or maybe it's just hard and it's difficult and there's suffering and there's prayer that has been answered. No, and not now. And no. And no, and no. Whatever gets us to that point where we say, you know what? He has checked out. He has forgotten me. He's, he's, there's lots of people in the world. He's forgotten me. He's, not, he's, he's against me. Whatever causes us to then take that next step of saying, you know what? I'm done. And I'm done because I think he's done. Verse 15 comes there and says, hey, can a woman forget her nursing child? Do you really think that I have no response when I hear the cries of my people is what God would say? Really? God is moved and very much aware of the cries of his children. He is aware, very aware. He can't forget. He cannot overlook the needs of his children. God paints this picture. Can a mom forget her nursing child? It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Now, as I mentioned earlier during our parent-child dedication, Mother's Day is also a day that is hard for many people and for various reasons. You might look at this verse. And you might look at this rhetorical question that says, can a woman forget her nursing child? And you might say, well, mine sure did. I don't, I don't know your story. But you might look at this verse and say, can a mother forget her nursing child? You might say, yeah, I think we should paint a, bit, a little bit of a different picture, pal. Uh, because I don't have that kind picture to look back on. Or I don't, I don't have this experience myself to be able to do that. So I can't paint that picture. I don't know what baggage you come carrying into here, come carrying in here with. I don't know what baggage you bring into this room. I don't know your story. But I do know that this question does not always bring a smile to people's faces. I do know that as you look at this and you say, Can't, can a mother forget her child? That there are people who have been abandoned and given up and, 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 and not provided for. And there are people who are forgotten by their moms. We live in a, we live in a country that there are some mothers who choose to take the life of their own child. In the millions. So let's not act like this is a perfect parallel because it's not. But what I want to do is call your attention to the fact that God has you covered in that same verse. Look at verse 15. 
Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Look at this. Even these what? Even these may forget. In general, the answer is no. But even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Uh, even these, verse 15, even, even though like this, this picture is nice, but it's not perfect. Can a woman forget a nursing child that have no compassion on the son of a womb? We're like, yes, yeah, some people do. Some people leave babies on the street. Uh, some people take the life of their children. Some people do forget. Some people don't have that. What's supposed to be innate, they don't have that. What's supposed to be instinctive, they don't have that. You might be that person. And then God says, all right, you know what? Fine. Even these may forget. But I'm still better. Yet I will not forget you. Verse 16, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I've made a permanent mark. Does God have hands? No. It's supposed to be for us to realize, wow, imagine a permanent mark on on something I look at all the time, on something I use all the time, and a permanent mark on the hands of our Lord to remind us of his people. A permanent mark on the hands of our Lord to remind us of his children. God says, I will not forget you. Tender affection, constant care. Tender affection, constant care. What are you in most, what are you most in need of today? And, and there's, there's a real fine line between those two things. I don't know that they're, that they're terribly different. Um, but what are you most in need of today? What encourages you most today? The fact that God is constant, the fact that he's never changing, the fact that he's always there, that he will never forget? Or do you find yourself looking and saying, you know what? I need help. I need to be held. I need, I'm weak. I'm hurting. I need that tender affection. I need that. I need to be held close. I need a, I need a feeling. I need, I, need a, I need to feel as if I'm close to God. I need to feel as if these words are true. I read them, but I don't feel them. Lord, would you give me that sense of comfort? Would you give me that sense of remembrance that you've not forgotten me? Even as a mom does not forget her child. And finally, one other picture that I'd like to remind us of is in Romans chapter 8 as we close. I want to ask our worship team to come up at this time. Romans chapter 8. And that is this. We go through the pains of labor in this life, but God does promise us deliverance. That even though we go through trial and tribulation, even though we experience famine and persecution and nakedness and peril and sword, God does promise his people deliverance. Look at Romans chapter 8 and pick it up in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, right? All of this creation, this whole world in which we live in, we groan and we ache and we labor, right? With intense labor and intense pain, with the pains of childbirth. That's what our life is like. But look what it says in verse 22, until Now, 
until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Friends, we're in the middle of this series. If you're not part of our church, you have to know that we're in the middle of a series uh, on the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who is personal, who helps us each and every day. We have the first fruits, the taste of what is yet to come living within us now. And it doesn't mean we skip through life. But it means we sense and experience in a very real way God's constant abiding presence in our lives. And even though we suffer, even though we groan, even though we walk through this life in a way that is, that is difficult and hard, we know that we will be delivered. We know that deliverance is coming. Verse 24 for in the, excuse me, verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope, is not see, hope that is not seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we know that our labor pains will lead to deliverance. Not because we work so hard, not because we toe the line, not because our good outweighs our bad, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. He remembers his children and he promises us deliverance through this process of life that is very much like a birthing process that will end in deliverance. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Father, we look to you, grateful for your promises, thankful, Lord, that our suffering in this life, as hard as it is, uh, is promised to end at some time. Lord, that you will deliver us, that you will give us the gift of eternal life, not because we've earned it, not because we're great, but because you have paid for it and because you are great. Remind us, Lord, of these truths. Remind us of your comforting hand Remind us of you the way you remember us, how you cannot help but remember your children. Comfort us this day as we celebrate, yes, mothers, yes, children, but most importantly, as we celebrate you, our great God. In Jesus' name, amen.